a falling US dollar that's normally good for the Aussie but there are a few other factors at play of course and this week how much could change on US inflation numbers what if it's higher than expected we're talking about the PCE numbers that are out this week of course uh, after all we are still seeing signs of the R word resilience too much demand with supply still constrained it's Monday the 27th of November 2023 it's the morning call from NAB good morning so the US dollar fell half percent on Friday. It was half a percent down over the week as well. It did try and regain a bit of ground last week, but clearly it failed. The real story, though, of course, is since November the 1st, it's down almost 3.3%. And that has been good for the Aussie dollar, which hit 65.9 US cents on Friday. Back a bit from that at the end of the day, but it's that, that is the highest it's been since the 1st of August. Treasury yields pushed higher on Friday, up six basis points for 10 years, up to 4.47%. But uh, that's not even fine basis points up on the week. Again, it's about the same for German 10-year bonds as well, whereas Aussie 10 years rose nine basis points last week. 10-year gilt yields in the UK, they rose 18 basis points, a very different story. And small moves on US equities on Friday. It was only a half day anyway. The Nasdaq down a bit, but uh, up 0.9% on a shortened week with a, a day and a half out of action for Thanksgiving. They had uh, the day off on Thursday, then the afternoon off on Friday, so they could go back and finish off, off the uh, the washing up, presumably. Uh, in Oz, the ASX 200 was down just a smidgen over the week, a failed attempt to climb out of it on Friday. 0.2% lower for the FTSE 100, but better in the rest of Europe, like the DAX, for example, up 0.7% last week. But in China, the CSI 300 down 0.7% on Friday, down more than 0.8% over the week. And the Hang Seng, a 2% drop on Friday, but still up on the week. Make sense out of all of that in whatever way you can. Whilst uh, we talk to Nabs Ray Atrell in Sydney, I guess the one good thing we can say is, hey, strong Aussie dollar. I mean, good news, unless you export a great deal. Uh, we are getting more used to it being in the mid-60s. But, you know, when do we get back up to the 70s, Ray? Uh, I think it's June 2024 is our forecast. So, um, um, But yes, we've certainly seen you know a decent run up and we've got within kissing distance of that 66 level, which just coincidentally happens to be NAB FX strategy team's end of year forecast. But uh, something will happen between now and then, I'm sure, to knock that uh, off that particular figure. But um, <laughs> I think what's interesting, I mean, yes, it obviously it's a, it's a story of, of broad-based US dollar weakness. And, um, you know, we lost another, as you said in your intro, another half a percent on that DXY index on Friday, even though there was, you know, precious little from, from what was going on in equity and bond markets to really drive that move. So it is, you know, still, by and large, it, it's dollar weakness being driven by confidence that the Fed is done with its time cycle and that rate cuts as, as early as the first half of next year are a realistic possibility. I think that's the overriding driver. I think what is um, interesting and one of the things that's holding back the Aussie here is uh, just looking at the year-to-date performance of, say, the S&P 500. It's up almost 18% now. As you look at something like the main uh, China Shanghai 300 index, it's actually down 9%. And one of the things that we've been saying this year in terms of, you know, what's important for Aussie dollar, excuse me, when it comes to risk sentiment, um, is really what's happening in emerging markets, Asia, China in particular. And so we really need to see, you know, renewed confidence, I think, in, in China and renewed flows, you know, back into its uh, its equity markets. I think that's the missing ingredient for, for Aussie sort of heading back up towards 70. So um, I think that's very much a work in progress at the moment.
And uh, sort of weaker data again out of the United States on Friday with the PMIs, manufacturing worse than expected, actually into contraction, but only just, but services better than expected. So uh, S&P are saying the growth in, in the services is coming from new orders, returning to growth for the first time in four months. But they say there's a lot of business uncertainty. So those orders might not be fulfilled. They say, you know, businesses have cut employment for the first time in three and a half years in response to, about, to concerns about the outlook. Uh, so services and manufacturing companies are cutting, uh, looking for cost savings, basically. So all of that's hitting employment, but also helping to reduce input cost inflation as well. So lots of weakness there. So again, more reason for the Fed to stay put. Yes, I think so. Although I think markets are quite rightly sort of pass reserve judgment on those um, S&P PMIs, at least as far as the US is concerned, pending the release of the, the more established um, ISM surveys. Um, I think we get manufacturing this Friday and then we'll get the services number <coughs> early next week. Mm. Um, but yeah, a slight improvement there in services. And, you know, although manufacturing slipped back below the 50 mark, we should always uh, be reminded that um, services represents the best part of 90% of the US economy. So in the scheme of things, it is already, you know, it is the most important. And you say a small rise there, but at, at 50.8, it's, it's still, a, a, you know, if it is expanding, it's at a relatively anemic rate, isn't it? And, and say manufacturing looks like it's back in recession. But let's, uh, let's wait and see what those ISM numbers can uh, suggest before we uh, pass judgment. Yeah, exactly. And then let's see what happens over Christmas as well, because Black Friday sales look like they're fairly strong. CNBC is reporting 9.8 billion in US online sales. Uh, which is 7.5% higher than a year ago, they say, according to Adobe Analytics. But is that good or bad? It really does depend on whether people are buying early because they don't spend, intend to spend as much over Christmas. Who knows? Perhaps everyone has peaked early. I do know I bought my son an electric toothbrush with uh, on the book Black Friday sales with artificial intelligence. Wow. I have no idea <laughs> what the artificial intelligence does to a toothbrush. But anyway, we go. Uh, oil prices, they fell uh they fell on Friday. Uh, WTI was down 2%. Brent down 1%. Brent is heading back down to 80. WTI is in the mid-70s. So we know tensions are easing in Gaza, at least for now. But we also know things are ratcheting up in Ukraine. And we know OPEC Plus have delayed their meeting. It starts today. So we still don't know whether cuts are going to be extended or they're going to be deeper. Uh, or are they simply responding to the downturn in the economy? In fact, in, in a way, does it really matter? I mean, if the economy... If we see a downturn in the economy, then the you know the OPEC is going to respond to that. If we see things bouncing back up again, I mean, OPEC plus want to reduce volatility, which is what we all want, don't we? Well, I also think they probably want to, to shore up prices, and it does. You know, you never really know what's going on you know, behind the scenes there, but it does look like there's some some disagreement and some suggestions that some uh, uh, some countries are um, yeah, not exactly fulfilling their quotas to the letter. They may be slightly exceeding existing quotas. There's reportedly some disputes about uh, particular quotas for African countries, and but the very fact that the meeting is delayed and it's now mm. a virtual affair rather than uh, in situ or in, person in Vienna as was originally planned, <laughs> you know, it does play to sort of a, a lack, I guess, a lack of confidence that um, production cuts are necessarily going to be extended, which was the uh, sort of the pre-meeting vibe, wasn't it? But um, you know, but in the meantime, I think you, sh you shouldn't underestimate the importance of this fall of this fall in oil prices because you know. As we've talked about uh, you know many occasions probably the the biggest influence on inflation expectations which remains a central
central bank obsession. You know, when we have seen that that pickup uh, in those University of Michigan ones in the US in the last couple of months, I think, um, you know, petrol prices are a big part of that. And the fact that, you know, crude oil is off, what, about 15% from its sort of early October highs now, you know, that will feed through to higher, um, to lower petrol prices. Uh, $1.89 was, I think, what... Um, what uh, a colleague of mine that uh, I was travelling with yesterday paid, wow. to, which, which was the, uh, was the lowest we've seen that for some while. So that will, <laughs> you know, if it's uh, maintained, will feed into lower inflation expectations. And I think that will be of some comfort to uh, to central banks. And uh, so I think it's, uh, it's, it's an important mm. factor to, to keep watching. Um, well, talking about hawkish central banks, Hugh Pill from the Bank of England was, you know, as hawkish as ever on Friday. He said it's all about supply constraint. It's not demand that is, uh, you know, weakening the economy so we've got this whole mismatch that's creating inflation basically is what he's saying so we've got to dampen demand down because of the supply constraints which is which is still there so you know they've got that blunt instrument they know how to use it although markets are not really expecting them to use it no matter what they keep on saying well there was a little bit of a reaction on friday and uh, as i said i think the point he was making that uh as I say, it's not uh, it's not necessarily um, you know demand driven the, the the weakening that we've seen in um, in inflation or not entirely demand driven and um, and that the the slowing in activity as you say has been driven more by supply than demand factors. But we did see a bit of a reaction there, and sterling has obviously been one of the the better performers. So the market was had about twenty basis points of uh, Bank of England rate cuts sort of by you know July August next year prior to Pill's comments to the Financial Times. You know, and that was shaved to about 17 basis points on Friday. So not a big move, but, um, you know, it is, uh, you know, I think we've done Table Mountain to death, haven't we, in this podcast, so let's not go there again. But the suggestion that uh, in the UK, at least, rates are going to be perhaps, you know, st- stuck here for a little longer than the likes of the Fed and the ECB. Certainly that is NAB's view. And uh, Pill's comments have done nothing to uh, to lodge us from that or dislodge us from that uh, expectation. And German IFO numbers for business conditions and uh, expectations, both a bit higher than in October, but still below expectations. It's very sectorial, isn't it? So manufacturing, the business climate rose markedly. In the service sector, it worsened quite a bit. In construction, it rose. In trade, it's higher. Uh, although retailers are saying they've got low expectations for Christmas. So real mixed bag. But, I mean, none of these are massive moves, are they? No, they're not. But uh, but I don't know, I would say, is that that IFO survey, is, it's a much uh, bigger, long-established survey, the equivalent, if you like, of the US ISMs. Um, so it's painting a slightly less bleak, bleak picture for Germany than uh, than those PMIs, even though we saw those sort of modest improvements in the PMIs last week, but still you know, very much mired in the 40s rather than um, into outright expansion Territory. So I think overall, um, you know, you put the IFO survey with the PMIs, it, you know, it does paint a picture of a German economy that sort of, um, you know, bobbing along the bottom, if you like, rather than, you know, an outright deterioration or certainly no uh, pickup in the speed of deterioration. So, um, you know, I think it, it plays to the view that, um, you know, it's not uh, it's not an outright euro positive, but uh, in the context of ongoing dollar weakness, um, nothing to stop um, euro probably, you know, talk about 66 on the Aussie. I think 110 on, on euro dollar is the next sort of psychological stopping off point there. And yet more resilience around the world as well. So Canadian retail sales were up 0.6% when they're expected to flatline. A chunk of that was cars, but take the cars out and they're still rising. Uh, and New Zealand retail sales that were expected to fall and uh, they didn't fall. So, uh, and of course, we've got the RBNZ meeting this week. They won't hike, but 
will they at some point if we keep on seeing numbers like this coming out? I think it's pretty unlikely. I think that um, you know the messaging that our BNZ colleagues are expecting is that uh, the bank might actually shift its uh, its position slightly in terms of um, you know not just that the uh, that the RBNZ is, is not minded to tighten again, but the sort of timing of easing, which I think they've got not until 2025. Um, market's not having a bar of that. But um, so we do think that they may soften their sort of projections or their um, implied rate track a little bit, but probably not nearly as far as, as the market's already taken things. So, um, yeah, but uh, say retail sales at flat minus 0.7. I don't think that's going to be a game changer as far as uh, the policy outlook is concerned. And on Friday, of course, they, they announced that uh, you know they may be doing away the government may be doing away with the dual mandate for the uh, for the central bank there so the, you know they're g- going to ignore employment and focus on inflation which is slightly better than what Argentina's doing because the president elect there is he wants to do away with the central bank altogether uh, I'm not quite sure how that would uh, that would work out so it's an interesting space to watch but not today uh, Japan CPI 3.3% in October year on year a little below expectations but not enough to make any difference the core measure is up to 4% which is quite a way off 2% but we still think no Christmas surprise from the Bosch. That's still the view, yes. We'll be very surprised by a surprise. So we're still looking to early indications of, of wages for the 2024 fiscal year before we might see a, a meaningful shift in policy there. Right, you'd be surprised by the surprise. That is the idea of a surprise, of course. Look, it's today uh, all quiet. We get new home sales for the US. Christine Lagarde from the ECB is talking again, but we've heard quite a bit from her lately. The Dallas Fed Manufacturing uh, Index. It gets more interesting, though, doesn't it, later on in the week? So we've got Aussie retail sales tomorrow. We've got CPI later this week. Uh, I mean, could either uh, or both encourage a pre-Christmas move by the RBA or do we really think if that's going to happen it's going to be next year? No we're still in February is still our, uh, our call for the most likely time if there is going to be uh, further tightening so I think that uh, um, you know that CPI number I think will, will will be helpful to the cause of a pause but um, you know as we say it's, it's very much sort of goods focused and, and therefore you know it may give a sort of a misleading sense of comfort as far as uh, inflation heading down in Q4 so I think we should probably look through it. I think the Inflation uh, numbers that we're going to get in the US are going to be far more important. So those PCE numbers um, that we get, I think, on Thursday, I think that's probably the um, the cream of the crop as far as the data calendar is concerned, remembering just how much um, excitement those uh, CPI numbers generated a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. And Ch- China's PMIs as well will be interesting this week. And I think, uh, yeah, we just about covered it. So an interesting week ahead, just a bit of a quiet start to it today. Good to talk, Ray. Thanks, Phil. And that's it. That's the morning call. I'm Phil Dobby, back again tomorrow morning for NAB. See you then.